Last week I talked about how we don't fit. Who knows that we were never meant to fit? Who feels like you fit in with this world? You shouldn't. Who doesn't fit in with this world? I said last week, some of you, you don't even fit in with churches. Doesn't make you better. It's not a pride thing. I'm not putting, I didn't, not naming any other denominations, any other churches. I'm just saying that you don't even feel like you fit in many churches. We're not meant to fit. God's got you placed where he wants you. He has you placed with the people he wants you. It's like, really, you can look at it in many different ways, but if you think of a very advanced machine, imagine you being a, a part, you know, the Bible calls us body parts, right? So let's just bring it to 2023. Let's make it a machine. Think of this very advanced, very, very particular part within a motor. It can't just go anywhere, can it? And sometimes you're like, well, I don't fit. I just don't fit in. I don't seem to fit in here, and I don't seem to fit in there. I don't fit in in even my own family in these certain circles. And it's because you weren't meant to. The Lord has a place for you to fit. And I want to talk today about how the Lord is calling us, and he calls us in spite of us and puts us. He has a place for us. Say, he has a place for me. God is calling each and every single person, even listening there on the podcast, he is calling you. God's calling the hurting, the discontent, those that have issues, the broken, and the flawed to be people in his heavenly army. We know in our word that God called David, don't we? We love, the, we love the pillars. We love reading about the pillars, right? We love, you can read about David, you identify him, and I was just, just thinking as I was preparing last week and then into this week, I was thinking, I've heard it said before, but sometimes, you know, we're like, Lord, help, help me pass this exam like David defeated Goliath. You know, we read about these great characters who did like these mighty things, and then we bring them into like these, you know, kind of small battles, but still the same. It's the same God. I'm not saying we can't do that, but it's kind of funny, isn't it? The Lord wants to use you for great and mighty things, but I want to say this. Just because David was great and mighty, and I'm going to talk about David today, I don't want us to focus on David. I want us to focus on David's mighty men. Everybody say David's mighty men. Last week, I called them the misfit toys. And I said, don't get offended at me, but I was calling us, the church, the misfit toys. And it's because, see, the world says you don't fit. The world says you're not like us, so then the world puts you off, right? You, be, you, go, you go live on your island. You're meant, you over there. We'll be over here. We're normal. But God says what's normal, doesn't he? God defines the normal. The world does not define the normal. We cannot let the world define the normal. And so God, yes, he called David, but I want you to say that God, I want you to see today that God calls normal people. David was normal. He became a great, but just because uh, David became a king doesn't mean that the mighty men were not important to God. And I've, I've, even, I've even meditated. I've thought like this. I've thought, Lord, what about the guy who had to get David his water? Not the, not the mighty men who went and got his water. Not that story. But I mean, just, you know, He's a king. He's busy. He had people do those things for him. They came in. They brought him his water. What about that guy? Does he not matter? And of course he does. In the kingdom of God, it is not trying to attain or be. Sometimes 
what happens is, and, and maybe, maybe this is nothing for you, but maybe, maybe for some, if you've, especially if you've been born and raised, you've been, you've been around the Word a long time, we kind of teach you to aspire to be David's. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it kind of gives us wrong perspective that, well, if I don't attain it to some sort of kingship role, you know, I haven't fulfilled what God's asked me to do, and I'm not doing and being the person God's called me to be. And we don't know his name, but I know that there was a guy who got David his water, right? There was somebody who prepared his bed at night. I mean, it's simple little things. doesn't sound like a big deal, but somebody had to do that job, and God says, well done to them. God's calling each and every one of us just to be who you are and to do what he's called you to do, and that's all that you need to worry about. It wasn't immediately clear that God was actually putting together a mighty army when he called the mighty men together, but it was for a purpose, wasn't it? His men wanted to kill uh, Saul while David had the true heart of God, and they, were, they wanted to kill David even. Uh, and so you have some stuff kind of going on as the mighty men and David are, are, are get, being put together. But in time, God was going to bring it together and use them for a great purpose to establish his kingdom. So I want you to see that it wasn't just David. David was only one man. One man defeated Goliath, but David's mighty army defeated the nations. Amen. Goliath was one man, but it was nations that the Lord wanted to conquer, wasn't it? It was always, since the, be since the beginning of the promised land being prophesied, the Lord said, I want you to go in and I want you to conquer these enemy nations. And it was not one man who was going to be able to do that. Can, can you know, God's God. So could we, you know, could we just sit and daydream and think, well, Lord, you know, Samson, he kills, he kills a thousand with a jawbone, right? We just read that this week. And then many, many of David's mighty men, you know, killed a whole bunch of guys in one battle, you know, until, they're, until the, the one man, right, until his hand is stuck to the sword. Sure, you know, the Lord could have had unlimited manna-supplied energy to David, and David just killed every single person in every enemy army because he's God. If we, if we really want a daydream, we could say, well, he's God. He could have used one man, but who knows that from the very beginning, even Adam and Eve, Adam was alone, right? The Lord gave him a helpmate. I mean, even right there in the beginning, God's plan and purposes for his kingdom has never been a solo act. The kingdom of God is about all of the characters coming together. And so I know it's subtle, and I know we're just a little church. So sometimes it can feel like, man, who's he preaching to? Just listen to the sermon. Don't take it personally. But we don't need to be, aspire to just be David's. You just be the person he's called you to be. And you need to just fit into the army of God where he's placed you to be. And each of those roles are so important to God because somebody needed to be David and be the king. But also, we need an Abner. We needed an Abiathar to be the priest, right? And each of those roles needed to work together for the bringing together of what God was about to do in the nation of Israel. Amen. Who's getting something out of this already? I want you just to uh, read with me. I wanted to get into this last week, and this is not really a part two, but I'm, I'm springboarding off of last week. So but I do want to read this first. Um, 
I want you to look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 22. I want us just to review. I mentioned these things, and I kind of closed on this verse. But I want us to, to look at what happened with David. Now, the Bible says that David ran from Saul. Who knows your Bible history? All right, we're not going to go all through it again. I kind of did a quick review. You can listen last week, and I think many of you know. But we know he runs from Saul. He needs to. He has to get away from him. He's going to kill him. All right, we know that. That's established. So, so David's out here by himself, and something very mysterious happens. And the Bible does not give us the answer why. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, So David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. The Bible says that his brothers and his relatives joined him. It does not say that David sent out a text message to everyone and say, hey, just so you know, peace, I'm leaving Saul. I've decided it's time. If you want, you can meet me here. It doesn't say really anything whatsoever of how or why. We do know this, though. We do know that just a short little while ago, it was his brother's I mean, his father was like, oh, yeah, I've got, I do have another son. Forgot even had another son, David. He's out tending the sheep. Just a little while ago, his father didn't even, you know, remember his youngest, thinking he's insignificant. And his brothers, when he comes to fight Goliath, his brothers are like, what are you doing here? Go back to those few sheep. Now, something mysterious happens, though that same family... And we know that his parents come too, because we're not going to get into it, but you can read there in, in 1 Samuel that he ends up putting them somewhere safe. So, you know, it's some, the men join him, and they're going to go on some missions, but he does set up his father, puts him there, protects them. It says, verse 2, Then others began coming, men who were in trouble. Everybody say they were in trouble. And it says they were in debt. Or they were discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. Why? Why were they drawn to David? You know, we don't need to understand everything to follow God. Who knows that it's not worth trying to understand everything? Because the more you think you understand about God, the more he lets you realize that you don't know anything. Who's been there? The deeper I dig, the more I know him, the more questions I have. Amen? So we don't need to understand everything. And in fact, I think it's fine to search him out, search out his heart, search out his mysteries. He loves revealing mysteries. But our desire should not be to know everything and understand everything. It should be just to know him. And understand him. And he'll reveal what he wants to reveal when he wants to reveal it. Who has found that? Right? In time and in your maturity and so on. David, we don't understand, but David ran. And he had a bit of a story and a bit of a history that got him to this place. And we could say, God, why'd you allow that? 
Couldn't you have matured David another way? Why did he have to run from Saul? Why does he have to end up in these caves? Why do you allow Saul to just keep pursuing him and pursuing him? And David's obviously righteous, right? His men say, let's kill him. Look, Saul's been handed into your hands. And David says, no, that's not the word of the Lord. That's just human. That's flesh. I'm not going to listen to you. He was also a good man because he didn't say, that's it. You're out. You're cut off. Get out of my sight. You know, you can't be around me any longer. You're not as holy and righteous as me. He just tells them that's not the word of the Lord, and they move on from the moment. Wow, you can read between the lines on that if you've been in the church your whole life. You see that the Lord actually called David and caused him to run. It was part of the plan of God for him to be isolated and separated for the purpose. You ready for this? That other isolated, separated, discontented people that are out there. God has them out there. It doesn't mean he did it to them. Right? But he is setting up. Sometimes you're like, why did you do all this to me, God? Why did you allow me to go through all of these things? And, and we have to realize that there is a testimony, not only that you can just testify about, who knows that testify is not just something to be like, wow, look what God did. That's fun. I mean, that's, I, I like doing that. But that's not it, is it? The testimony that you have is because now somebody else, first of all, you can identify with others and you don't judge them because you understand where they're at. And also, they can trust you because they understand that you have gone through things that they've gone through. And we see that the Lord really, the church really, is a place where God is calling in the hurting, the broken, the discontented. That's what it's meant to be. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's somewhere down here in my notes. I'm going to say it now by the Spirit of the Lord. Some have been given extra grace by all your flaws. Some have been graced with extra flaws. I want you to say it out loud. I've been graced with flaws. Do you know it is the devil who tries to hide your flaws? Huh? It's the devil who wants to cover and hide the flaws. The Lord... There is not a person in the earth that is not flawed. You know, I, I go through these cycles in life. You have really, really good times, and then you come through times where it just everything you look at, it's like, I just finished doing that, and now that needs to get done, right? You get your lawn perfect, and now you need to do your paint. Get your paint perfect, and now your lawn's dying. Sometimes I'm reminded of the imperfections of this earth, and then you have to just, you know, you have to just say, Lord, I can't worry about it. I can't get frustrated with this earth. This, the, I mean, those were silly examples, but, you know, sometimes they're deep things. You're looking at bills, and you're looking at, you know, even sicknesses and all these things. It's the same thing. I use simple examples on purpose. But we get so focused on those imperfections. But, you know, that really, though, is the Lord's grace constantly showing us, reminding us that this is a flawed existence, 
and you are a part of that flawed existence, and that really, that's not your identity, that your identity is in heaven with Christ. And the reason that you are flawed, and that even all the world around you is flawed, is actually grace. It's actually grace. Because who has met a person who doesn't think they need to change? Who has been around people that think, I've got it all. Man, their lawn is perfect. It's like, Lord, why do you do that? How come their lawn is so green? I'm using that example, right, because the grass is always green on the other side. You guys get me? But how come theirs just doesn't die? And they can afford the sprinklers to keep it going and the fertilizer to keep it green. I thank God for the grace that my lawn died when we had this little drought. Because when I look at that, I'm like, you know, I love a green grass, but I'm reminded that it'll grow back. That's fine. Whatever. It'll be as green as it's going to be. But I thank you, Lord Jesus, that I have got green grass in heaven, that that's my real home, and I'm here for a season. There's a purpose in my life. And see, it was the flaws that drove them to David. We don't know how the connection was made, except I would say, because we're going to look at the rest of the word here, we can look at God and what God does, that it was the Spirit of the Lord. I have to read between the lines, so whenever I do that, I always tell you that I'm reading between the lines. Amen. We got that. It doesn't tell you. So anybody listening can't say, well, the word doesn't say that. I would say, based on what God does in many, 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 many situations is that the Lord just did it. Let's just say the Lord just did it. We don't need to understand or, you know, sometimes you're like, how did I end up here? How did I end up with this group of people? What am I doing in New York with these people? And the Lord has us here, right, Annie? The Lord has called flawed people together to flawed people for a purpose. Praise God. I'm not going to leave us there in flawed. That's just the beginning here. But I want us to see that you need to understand that there, there is the discontentment, there is the flaws, there are the issues. You can look just quickly in chapter 22 and verse 20. Abiathar, he was one of the sons of Ahimelech, the high priest, and Saul comes in, he kills all the other priests. Abiathar escapes and becomes a priest for David. So his situation was a little bit different. It wasn't just discontentment. He was also running for his life. And yet, where does he end up? He ends up with David. You can look in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, and he ends up in the wilderness. We don't know how it happened, but it says, 1 Samuel 23, verse 13, that David's men are now 600. And they began roaming the countryside. And then we can read, this in first chronicles chapter 12 verse 1 we read the following men joined david at ziklag it says you can read it in your own time but it says that these were these expert warriors verse 2 and they were able to use their left hand which was like you know an extra level of expertise in the lord's it says that they were relatives of saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Who knows that God's putting together an army? You guys see what's happening here. Now, in the moment, you're like, yeah, but I had no choice. Saul was going to kill me. 
You guys see what I'm doing here. The Lord knew what he was doing. He was putting together a church. He was putting together the church. He's there. The Lord, you think that your situation pushed you all over the place and you're like, God, why are you allowing all these things? And he's pushing sometimes people together into places and with others on purpose for what he's about to do. Who knows the end of the story? Because, you know, we're going to run out of that clock before, I can, before I'm going to get to it. But who knows, David and his mighty men are great conquerors of many, many nations, many kingdoms after this. You see what the Lord was doing, though. You can read in your own time that warriors from Gad came and warriors, it says, from Benjamin and Judah at, at another point come. And then it says in verse 19 that some men from Manasseh defected from the Israelite army and joined David when he set out with the Philistines to fight against Saul. So you have some more men who are already soldiers and they've defected. And then you have verse 22 says, Day after day, more men joined David until he had a great army like the army of God. Wow. Now, in your life, it was like, well, I was being chased, I was being hunted, I was in debt, I had addictions, I had all these issues. Again, I'm not saying that the Lord did it to you, but the Lord used those things to create something inside you. See, this is the problem with the church as a whole today. We don't have conviction anymore. You're supposed to feel like there's a place that I can go to. Yes, that will accept me as I am, but I'm going to go there because I don't want to be in the world anymore. I don't want David to be like Saul. I want to get away from Saul. I want to get away from the world, and I want to go and be a part of a people that are not like the world. That's just a commercial break. That's not today's sermon. But the point is that the Lord is calling together an army. And what I want you to see is that, yes, David, mighty man, but God was actually doing something. And you can read, there's a list of names here. We got the David's mighty men, we got the 30, and then you've got other names in there as well. You can, 2 Samuel, now there's a split. Who knows your, church, your Bible history? David has become king of Judah, but not of all Israel. Who knows your Bible history? Well, we have a, a man named Abner, and he is one of Saul's sons, uh, Ishbosheth. Um, he's the he kind of took the place as as king, um, and and he accused Saul. I mean, he he accused Abner of sleeping with one of his father's concubines, and it says in verse eight that Abner was furious. And verse 10 says, I'm going to take Saul's kingdom and give it to David. And meanwhile, Abner had consulted with the elders of Israel for some time. And you can read here that he says that now's the time. I'm gonna, I've chosen David. And then he says, verse 19, that Abner also spoke with the men of Benjamin. Then he went to Hebron to tell David that all the people of Israel and Benjamin had agreed to support him. It says this in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 18. It says, Then the Spirit came upon 
uh, Amasai, the leader of the 30, and he said, We are yours, David. We are on your side, son of Jesse. Peace and prosperity be with you and success to all who help you, for your God is the one who helps you. Amazing, isn't it? Then something happens. Everybody say, then something happens. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, it says, three days later when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into, into the Negev and Ziklag, and they had crushed Ziklag, and they burned it to the ground, and it says they carried off all their women, their children, and everything else. And when David's, verse 3, when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, verse 4, they wept until they could weep no more. And verse 6 says, David, now let's just recount, who's David? Did David ask any of these men to join him? We don't, you know, we don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he kept running around telling people to join me. It doesn't say that, and I don't think that's what happened. I think people were just drawn to him. But it's funny that right before Israel's about to become whole and one, and he's going to be king, it says David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. Wow. So God calls the discontented, the hurting, the broken, puts them together. Everybody's looking for somebody to blame, isn't it? You know what's happening here? The issue in their hearts in the world hadn't been dealt with yet. And now they come into the church under David, and the issue is still there, isn't it? So now they point their finger instead of that Saul or whatever the issue was before. They need to point it at somebody, and they point it at David. That's not the point of my sermon either. That's another commercial. But I want you to get some of these points along the way. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Who loves that verse? I love that line so much. David doesn't respond to them. He doesn't respond like a tyrannical ruler. He says, he, it's almost as if he ignores it. He's, he's in danger, but he ignores their threats. And he says, I want to say it with some authority, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to yell too loud. Bring me the ephod. But can you hear him? I mean, that brings, that makes my eyes about to water. Bring me the ephod. He sought the Lord. And he said, Lord, should I go after them? The Lord says, go after them, and you're going to recover everything you lost. Something happens within this chapter. There's a lot that's happening here in 1 Samuel 30. I'm going somewhere. Everybody say he's going somewhere. I hope so. <laughs> in chapter 30, as you read down, I'm just going to tell you for time. What happens? The 600 men, they get up the, the courage. David sought the Lord. The Lord says, we're going to do it. They go running. 200 of them get tired along the way. 
and they were like, we're just too exhausted, and they stopped. So 400 pursue. And the Bible says that they fought them all the way till the next evening. And they did exactly what the Lord says. And it was even extra plunder because David's making offerings of the extra plunder. We don't know how much. It's not important. But the point is that it wasn't just what they lost. It was even beyond that. The Lord gave them everything back. And what I want us to see here is what happens is, is in verse 22, it says, But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, They didn't go with us. So they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Wow. We see this man of God, and we see these disgruntled, discontented, frustrated, indebted people, but God's using them even in spite of their issues. But every once in a while, their issues still come rising up to the surface. But David, a man of God, and what I want us to do is just transition now for these, next, these last minutes of the sermon, and I want us to see... A picture here, we have something called types and shadows. Anybody know types and shadows? It's basically just a symbol, uh, symbols we have in Christianity that basically points to some very direct things, the types, and some kind of hidden, a little bit veiled behind the scenes things, but still seem to point to the kingdom of God in Christ we call shadows. And together we call them types and shadows in Christianity. And there are things that God did in the Old Testament. There's stories that then point to Christ and then also can point to us in the future. Amen. Well, the types and shadows here is just unbelievable, and I wish I had let myself have so much set up. I wish I had some more time to get into this, but I just want to quickly, I'm just going to just tell you, I don't have time to read through these notes because we're that t clock is ticking. But you see that David is a type of Christ. And what I want us to see just as even Peter, this is, so, I, I started to dig into this, and the Lord just started unraveling this for me, and I was just blown away. You know that right before Jesus was put on the cross, Peter comes, and he does three distinct things. God calls Peter as a fisherman, and he's still a fisherman, isn't he? Even if he wasn't fishing, there was still a fisherman in Peter. For a season. Everybody say, for a season. Aren't you glad that God, he calls you out, and then he doesn't reject you in the process, even though many men do. We see that David was not just a man, but was a picture of Christ. Any other men you read? I mean, even men in present, I mean, I have seen men like this, even in my life, you make a misstep here or there, and that's it. You're done. And we see that David, like Christ, gave grace and gave mercy because he could see that these men had some things inside them that were issues and that they were dealing with and that there would be a time, the Bible says, if you fast forward, where they became Judah and Israel 
And the Bible says that those same disgruntled men, now 600 again, they come in and they, they establish the kingdom and they move into the towns of Judah and they move into Israel and now these are his warriors and his leaders and the rulers of the nation. But in, there is a moment before, just like Jesus, the type, David being the type Jesus, when he called Peter and he called the disciples and there were issues inside them and praise God that Jesus did not reject us while we were dealing with stuff because he can see you after the resurrection, after Israel, come on, that's the other type, that Israel was a type it was a shadow for the kingdom of God that you were called to rule and to reign with Christ, to be in a very specific position with him. And sometimes we're all frustrated by all our stuff. Then we come into the church and the church is just a misfit toy place of all that stuff still. We need to let God deal with us. Let him finish dealing with us, but there needs to be grace and mercy amongst each other from the leaders down and to each other because God's doing something. And many times we, we jump ship before we let God do what he was going to do. And Peter's there. He says, I will never let you go to the cross. He says, Satan, get behind me. Second thing, Peter says, I'll never deny you. He says, you're going to deny me three times. Third thing, he comes out with a sword and strikes off the ear. Right before the cross, Peter has a flare-up of flesh, 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 flesh. Praise God that the Lord, you know what Jesus said to him? Peter, put away your sword. You know what Jesus saw? Jesus saw that Peter was trying to defend Jesus. Jesus saw past the stuff, the outburst, even the denial. He could see Peter after when he said, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know I love you. And the Bible says here that there came a time that just as they were established as a kingdom, that then the disciples, they were also established. The Bible says that King David, just I'll read it in my own, 2 Samuel, that King David settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies. And 2 Samuel 8 says that David became more famous and in fact the Lord made him more victorious wherever he went and he reigned over all the people. There was a time and a place that God brought it all together. And the Lord just had me bring kind of a strange Connect some strange connection here, a strange sermon in many ways, even for me to preach it. But I believe that the Lord wanted me to say this that the Lord has called us. The Lord is not, Lord is not looking for a perfect person. He's looking at exactly who you are, flawed. But praise God that that even though men even men in the church who have rejected you at many times, the Lord says, I have not rejected you. Maybe that's for somebody listening. And the Lord wants us to just to, to let go, to break free, to cut off, to just to all of that. The Lord is not concerned with our flare-ups because he knows the heart inside. He knows ultimately what he's doing, that he's been bringing together this group of people even in this room. 
but the church as a whole. He's bringing it together. And I think so many times the church is trying to figure itself out. And, and segregating and placing, well, you go here and we're obviously, you know, we're the leaders and we have the skills and we have the abilities. And the Lord just doesn't see it that way. The most picked on person probably of the disciples is Peter. Judas does deny Christ to the cross and Thomas doubts him. But we pick on Peter the most. The, the church, you know, theology does the most. And yet Peter is the, the very one, come on, church, you know your history, Acts chapter 2, who comes blazing down, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel? The very person who said, I will never deny you and denies him. He has called Satan just before the cross and is using his flesh and his own strength to defend Christ, even though the heart was that Christ needed to be defended, the gospel needed to be defended, he went about it the wrong way, and the Lord looked through those things, just as even I saw grace. I saw, I'd never looked for it. I don't know why. It it wasn't maybe something you're reading the story, focusing on David, and I'm like, wow, Lord, you gave tremendous grace. David didn't judge them. He saw that they were dealing with these issues, that they had genuine deep hurts and discontentment. And praise God that there was a man who was after your heart that did not kick them out just because they, they misstepped and misused and misunderstood or whatever. And so to bring this together, I want to say this. I'm just going to close it with this line. This is what the Lord said. The Lord said, David's mighty men went from debt to being warriors in the kingdom of God. And it's just very simple. It's just, this is funny. I mean, I was just, I wasn't sitting down saying, Lord, give me something clever. I was out working on my pool, and this just dropped in my spirit. I knew it was from him. He said, let the second half of your life be the one that counts. I want you to hear that again. Let the second half of your life be the one that counts and he brought it to some more clarity which is this it's never too late to defect from the other side it's never too late to leave and join Jesus in his mission and this is this is not a message to unbelievers uh, this is a message to us as believers Amen. Praise God. I just thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you, Lord, that that this is a much more of a prophetic word than words words. I just pray you let it sink into our hearts. And I pray the healing and the ministry you're doing with this word. I thank you, Jesus, would go down inside of us. That, Lord, the rejection and the discontentment and the indebtedness. I thank you, Lord. Lord, your word says that you took our debts and you canceled them. Just as David canceled, Lord, their debts and did not hold their flaws against them, but gave them time to move past them and deal with them. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have done that for us. I thank you, Lord, that even when every other person has failed us, I thank you, Jesus, that you are the one we can always look to, and we can see you standing there. You have not rejected us. 
You have not held it against us. I thank you, Lord, but you're calling us to move on, to move past it. It's time to come into that place in the upper room. It's time to get, thank you, Lord Jesus, into that power of the Holy Spirit where he's called us to be. We're not warring and doing it in the flesh. The denying is done. And I thank you, Lord, that when we come out, all this preparation, all of that, thank you, Lord, was to get us to the place where we are now to be used by you. Amen. Praise God. Amen.